Good afternoon, mamas, mamas-to-be. Um, as most of you know, my name is Alicia. I am not teaching this workshop because I am the expert in parenting. Um, even though I had pretty close to perfect parents, um, I still have so much to learn from them and just from God's word. I have two boys. Um, anyone else here have high schoolers? Teenagers and high schoolers. So these are the ones you need to look around. We need to pray for one another, please extra rare yeah if you have middle school upper elementary kids i have one of those too any of you still in that toddler stage that you think will never end <laughs> i like some of us raised our hand for all the seasons um and there are so many different seasons in parenting my heart was just okay lord how can we have something for each mama that's here, right? Even despite all these different seasons, Lord, your word stands true. And recently in my devos, I was going through First Peter and Second Peter, and just that promise of he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And motherhood is definitely a part of life, right? That's one thing that once those babies are born, that's it, you are forever a mom. And the Lord has given us all the things we need for that. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you love us, and that, Lord, you love our children so much more than we can imagine. And, God, I just lift up each and every one of my sisters here, God, that you would be encouraging them, that you would walk alongside them in this journey of motherhood, God. We thank you that your heart is that of a parent, God, and that you have that perfect balance of grace, of discipline. Help us to have that discernment, Lord. Strengthen each and every one of my sisters here, God. We know that parenting is not for the faint of heart in this times that we are living in, God. We love you. We need you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. So, yeah, we got it. Thanks. Um, I'm sorry. This is, it's different, so... Normally, I like to be closer to you guys, but we're going to make this work. Um, so the workshop description says, Overcoming worldliness and attaining biblically-based practices for mothering as God calls you. So how can we have victory in parenting? With the abundance of voices, sometimes disguised as resources, calling out and often distracting, how can mothers tune into Christ's voice to fulfill this great calling? Simplify and prioritize your role as a mom to direct your child's steps to Jesus. And it just reminded me of the song, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling. And may that be our approach with our children. Um, the song says, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching. We need to be doing that as moms too. Watching for you and for me. And uh, just the chorus says, Come home, come home, ye who are weary. Any moms weary here today? You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. And until we realize that there are things in our parenting that maybe are sinful, it's going to be really hard to come home to that voice till we realize there are things that we need to repent from, things that we need to allow the Lord to correct. We're still going to remain weary. 
because we're putting these burdens on ourselves from the world rather than from his word. So we're going to go through this together, things that the Lord has convicted me about as a mom. And so um, sharing is caring. And I'm just going to share all those convictions <laughs> with you ladies so that our weary souls can be at home with him. So the theme verse for this workshop is Proverbs 29, 15. And you can go ahead and turn there if you got your Bible. Um, turn with me there to Proverbs. It's towards the middle of, of the Bible, right after Psalms. Uh, Proverbs is such a great book. We've been going through it in Lighthouse Ministry, uh, the school there at Calvary Chapel, Miami. Just so much wisdom, so practical. So Proverbs 29, verse 15 says, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And we're just going to divide up this workshop in three, right? So uh, recently, Sandy Magnetach was teaching, and she noticed how a lot of times the Bible puts things in trios, in these triplets. Anyone here have triplets? No? Okay. <laughs> so, but the scripture is full of them, these trios, these things that go together. So the first one we're going to look at, rod and rebuke, give wisdom. Then we're going to look at left to himself. And then the last part, bring shame to his mother. Rod and rebuke, give wisdom. Rod, this word in the Hebrew is the same word we see in Psalm 23, verse 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It says that you are with me. Psalm 23, 4. Do you realize that a shepherd needs to be close to use this rod, to use this staff? When we discipline our children, we're, that's when we're closest to them because we're working out these things in their life that are the flesh, that are sinful. This Hebrew word for rod is also used throughout Proverbs and you could just jot these down, even though they're within um, the same book. If you're quick, you could flip there, but I just have them written down here in my notes. Proverbs 22, 15, 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of correction will drive it from him. So again, that's just one example of how the rod is useful tool to keep foolishness out of our kids. Throughout Proverbs, it's only applied to those two individuals, fools and children, because it's in their hearts. This word rebuke that is also used in this proverb is also tra translated to reproof and chastening. And that word reproof comes up over and over again in not despising it. It shows up in Proverbs 3.11. Proverbs 3.11. Even in Job. Job chapter 5 verse 17. And maybe some of us are like, yeah, but that's like Old Testament. That's the law. No, it's repeated in the New Testament in Hebrews 12 verse 5. And all these times our encouragement is not to despise the chastening of the Lord. And a lot of times that verse is used like when the Lord is disciplining us. Like, okay, God, you're right. You're correcting me. Help me not despise it. But we can't despise it when he's calling us to be the ones that implement that rebuke, to implement that rod. May we not scorn the tools the Lord has given us to produce wisdom in our children. This word rod also means scepter. And if the Lord is the ruler of your house, serve him as he has commanded you. 
when it comes to the rod and rebuke giving wisdom, the thing that is just on my heart, and I pray I remember the next time the Lord calls me to discipline my children, which will probably be, you know, soon, just because that's the nature of parenting. So this is what I want us to remember when we're called to discipline. When we discipline our children, we are not fighting with them or against them. We are fighting for them. When we discipline our children, we're not fighting with them or against them. We're fighting for them. We're fighting on their behalf, fighting for their wisdom, fighting for their discernment, fighting for their obedience, fighting for their relationship with God. Ladies, please don't stop fighting for your children's spiritual lives. They're at, at that age where they still need a rod to correct them. We have to use it. And it hurts our hearts and it breaks it. But think of how much more, again, how the verse ends, our heart will be broken if we didn't use the rod in that season. We need to rebuke them. We need to remind them, hey, that's the flesh. That is sin. I've, I've seen this time and time again in my kid's life. Um, I know like when my dad shares that like all his grandkids are perfect and he always, you know, paints these amazing pictures of his grandkids because he has such a heart for them. But it takes work to to get our kids to love the Lord, to to not love themselves or the flesh. And I remember there was a season with one of them that it was just hard. I felt like there were days that all I did was discipline them. Right. And it was like it would get to the point I could say he because they're both boys. Um that he would like think about what he was going to do, do it, and then go to the place of discipline. Like we had a little like area where, where he would get bow bow and he would like think about it, weigh the choices, like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And all right, here's my consequence. And it was exhausting. And it would break your heart because like you chose to disobey. Like what in the world? How do we address this heart issue? But we can't stop fighting for them. We cannot stop fighting for their obedience. If they need another paleta, they need another popao, they need another discipline. Like we just have to fight for them and not grow weary. I think of Samson's parents, right? Manoah and his wife. They started off so well. They, they put in so much work in the beginning. They kept themselves within that Nazarite vow, right, all through her pregnancy. Imagine raising a kid and every party, no, sorry, he can't have grape juice. Like. You know, everything has to be a certain diet. And they, they were so diligent. But somewhere along the way, they stopped fighting for their son. They did. They caved into his lust. Maybe they thought, ay, pobrecito. His whole life, he's never even gotten to taste grape juice. Or maybe they saw how much the Lord was using him and they're like, you know what? He's done so many things right. He, he deserves this. Like, he needs a little break. A pobre. Like, I don't want him. He already sticks out so much from the crowd. Like, we can, we can let him have this one thing, this one prostitute, you know, this one Gentile woman. They even tried to discourage him from this marriage with the Philistine. Unbeliever but they caved into his lust. We can't do that, ladies. We know the consequences of that. We'll move into the second part of Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself. The idea here is of unbridled, no restraint. So a kid who has no restraints 
and is left to himself. And ladies, my heart and just really what I think God's heart is when we think of this comes down to depriving our children of obedience and responsibility will lead to their depravity. Depriving our children of obedience and responsibility will lead to their depravity. What does the Bible require of children? Um, there's this tool in uh, Blue Letter Bible that has like topical things and it'll give you all the times a verse mentions a certain idea. So it's kind of cool because a concordance, the word has to match every time. But this tool, this like topical resource will give you like every time a subject turns out, which is nice because obviously in different translations. So it was really sweet. I think this was, um, I'm not going to say the person because I might get it wrong. But what does the Bible require of children? It gives four things. Number one, honor the parents, right? So these are biblical instructions. The first thing, and it's repeated time and time again, it might be one of the most repeated commands in scripture, actually, is to honor the parents. Number two, attend to instruction. Attend to instruction. Our kids are called to be teachable. Attend to instruction. Number three, submit to discipline. Submit to discipline. And number four, and this is an important one, respect those older, I put in parentheses, or in authority. Respect the aged, those that are older, in parentheses, I put authority. Let me give you references for these. So to honor the parents, Exodus 20, 12. Exodus 20, 12. And again, it shows up in scripture so many other times too. Attend to instruction all over Deuteronomy. Um, but this writer pointed out Deuteronomy 4, 9 and eleven nineteen, Submitting to discipline. We're going to see it later in this chapter, 29, 17. And that verse in Hebrews that I referenced, Hebrews 12, 9. So it's submit to discipline, Proverbs 29, 17, Hebrews 12, 9. And lastly, respecting the aged or authority, Leviticus 19.32. Leviticus 19.32. Ladies, we need to beware of buzzwords because there's a lot of things that will sound like, oh, I really need to apply this to my parenting, but it's not biblical. When I think of an example of parents who left kids to themselves, I think of Adam and Eve. It always struck me that Adam and Eve are nowhere to be mentioned in the chapter where Cain and Abel had their falling out. They're not mentioned there. Maybe Cain constantly told his parents, Ay, just leave me alone, right? He just wanted to be left alone. Isn't that how he retorts to the Lord when the Lord calls him out? Am I my brother's keeper? Like, déjame, leave me alone. And in the end, Cain being left to himself brought about his depravity. He murdered his own brother Parents, there's a big difference between leaving our children in the hands of God and leaving them to themselves. There's a big difference. Leave them in the hands of the Lord. Yes, every day, prayer, encouraging them, asking them, hey, what have you gotten in your devils lately? Like if they're of age, if they're reading, ask them that. You'll notice that a lot of times if that relationship with the Lord is off, you're the, no wonder your relationship with them may be off. Or maybe you see it with their siblings or with their classmates or with their friends don't leave them to themselves leave them to the lord and the last part 
is bring shame to his mother. You know, it's interesting that whenever Proverbs mentions like a negative consequence that happens with kids, usually the mom is the one that has to bear it, right? So obviously dads are affected too, but for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit inspired Solomon to mention that, you know what, this reproach, this consequence, this burden from our kids not following after the Lord, that weight is going to go on that mama's heart. So let's be reminded of what the Bible requires us to do, right? So maybe that's where the shame comes in. It's like, man, I didn't do everything God called me to do, right? And I pray that it would never be the case for anyone here in this room or maybe listening to this teaching. May we have done everything so that as we leave their hearts to Jesus, they decide what they need to do, but we know we never stopped fighting for that soul. So what is a parent's duty to their children? The first one is to love them, to love them. That is our first and foremost calling. And that's found in Titus 2, 4. So again, we're just going to go over some of the duties that parents have for children. And again, the list is like more than double <laughs> what kids have to do, right? So typical, kids have it so easy. They don't know how good they have it. And us mamas got to do it all. So to love them is the first one, Titus 2, 4, to bring them to Christ. Bring them to Christ. Matthew 19, 13, and 14. Matthew 19, 13, and 14. Bring them to Christ. Train them up for God is number three. Train them up for God. And we see that in two places. Proverbs 22, 6. Proverbs 22, 6. And Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4. So, so far we have bring them to Christ, Matthew 19, 13 and 14, train them up for God, Proverbs 22, 6, Ephesians 6, 4, to love them, Titus 2, 4. We continue, instruct them in God's word. Instruct them in God's word. So I love that this one parallels um, the children's one to be instructed and be teachable. And what are we supposed to be instructing them in? God's word. Again, all over Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Deuteronomy 11, 19. And then Isaiah 38, 19. And the idea there again is to instruct them in God's word. And I love the picture that Deuteronomy paints of doing this because it's not like you're in the middle of cooking dinner and like doing the dishes, doing all this stuff. And it's like, okay, everybody stop. Take out your Bibles. You know, and you take out the PowerPoint slide and you start doing a word study. No, it's, it's when you're going, when you're coming, as you're driving to school, as you're leaving school, as you're picking them up, as you're tucking them into bed. It, it just becomes part of the routine because sometimes I know there's so much on moms. Like, you have to cook them all organic things. But you know what? It's okay to, like, let them have a little sweet treat. Don't deprive them. And they need to be in sports, but not too much. And also church and all these things that the world is telling us we need to be all the time. And Jesus is like, would you just teach them? Would you just show them that I love them? Would you just bring them into your chaos as you're on your way to the grocery store? Um, I remember I learned this from one of the moms at church, that whenever another child would be misbehaving in the grocery store, they would always turn to their children and be like, now you, <laughs> like, don't get crazy like them. Or like, ay, pobrecito, que feo, right? Like, that's so ugly, right? We have to pray for that little child. Doesn't it look ugly when they do that? So I love that, just that instruction along the way, along the way. Tell them of God's judgments. 
So we tell them of God's word and we also remind them of the judgments. Ladies, there are consequences to our kids' decisions. May we not run to shield them from those consequences, but may we remind them of those consequences as they're making the decisions. Joel 1 verse 3. I love this one too. Tell them of the miracles of God, the miraculous things of the Lord, his miraculous works. Tell them. Exodus 10, 2, Psalm 78, 4. What a joyous command we're given to remind them of the miracles that God did, not only in the Old and New Testament, but in our own lives. I know some of our testimonies, Maybe we don't want to share with our kids right away when they're at a young age, but I really believe every parent at some point in their life should sit sit down and tell their kids what God has done for them. Let them know, right? Let them know, like, God has done an amazing work in my own life. Command them to obey God, right? So it's not just knowing the word, not just knowing the judgments and the miracles, but like, hey, now you got to do it. Obey God. And that's Deuteronomy 32, 46, 1 Chronicles 28, 9. So we had instruct them in God's word, tell them of God's judgment, tell them of the miracles of God, command them to obey God. We're halfway done with the list. And the next one is really sweet too, to bless them, to bless them. Pray over your kids, pray for them, pray for their future spouses, the future families of those spouses, bless your children. Genesis 48, 15, Hebrews eleven twenty. Another command is to provide for them. And I love the distinction between providing versus indulging, right? We're called to provide for our kids what they need. Food, shelter, correction, but, you know, if, if your kid says you're bored, they're bored, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden it's your job to, like, stop and entertain them. We have to do our laundry. We have to get things done. Some of us work. Like, some of us are full-time at home, and they have other siblings. There is that balance when our kids say that they're bored, that sometimes they're just like, Mama, can you give me some attention? I forgot what book I picked this up from. Um, but it taught me to say, okay, Mama will be with you for the next 10 minutes undivided attention and we'll play we'll do whatever but now mama has to go work teach them that work ethic and like you're kind of training them how to entertain themselves especially as they're little and even when they're bigger right when they want to run to their electronics or to their friends or to their sports and other stuff make it that point to still have those 10 minutes with them where you're like interacting playing uno a board game just that connecting with them to provide for them that relationship with them and not just to indulge them. And that was um, Job 42.15 and 1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy 5.8, Job 42.15. To rule them, to rule them. Uh, one of my friends used to work in a preschool. And she once overheard this mom after school, pickup time, telling the child in Spanish, but if you don't obey me this time, next time I won't obey you. And it took everything in my friend's like power to not run over there and like tell the mom, no, 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 that's not how this works. It's not a give and take. It's not a like, hey, let's take turns. Today you'll be in charge. Next time I'll be in charge. Your job is to rule over them. 
And I know it's hard because we want to be compassionate and we want to, you know, be kind and gentle and all those things. But at the end of the day, God is calling you to rule over them. And how can we expect our kids to obey if we're walking in disobedience to the role that God has called us to? 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 12. As parents, our job is to rule over them. Sometimes it's enough that you don't want to do that thing. You don't want to go to that place. Like, that's okay. Um, In love, filled by the Spirit, obviously we make sacrifices for our kids. But sometimes at the end of the day, we just have to remind them, like, this is my house. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is the way God has called us to do it. To correct them. I kind of went over that in the first section. This one has so many references. So we're just going to say all of them to correct them. Proverbs 13, 24. Proverbs 19, 18. Proverbs 23, 13. 29 17 so again in proverbs is 13 verse 24 19 verse 18 23 verse 13 29 17 and the last two our duties as mom also include not provoking them not provoking them this one can be hard for me sometimes because i can be sarcastic especially when i'm tired you know when you've had that long week And you're just like, okay, I'm done. And it's just like a simple thing. Like, okay, guys, time to get in the shower. And like something happens. And like, it was a simple thing. They just needed to be corrected at that moment. But then all of a sudden, it's like, I'm done. And this whole week was all your fault. Um, But it's not. And and those are times that we need to remember, like, okay, Holy Spirit, fill me. Because what's going to come out is not going to be pretty. And we need to not provoke our children. We need to be clear. And if we've been clear with them that they need to obey the first time, it usually doesn't have to get to that point. But what often happens is that we give them chances, we let things slide, we repeat ourselves, and it's as simple as, I'm gonna leave this room, you guys are need to take a shower, I'm gonna come back in six minutes, and you both need to be in bed. Obviously not six minutes, they need more time to take a shower than that, but you, you get what I mean. Um, and if not, there will be consequences, and you just follow through, and you leave the room, you come back in the allotted time. If they haven't done what you've said that they need to do, very calmly, you didn't obey mama, you didn't obey the Lord. So here we go. There are consequences. And you still got to do what I told you to do. You still got to do it. The consequences do not eliminate the act of obedience that the Lord still called them to do. Do not provoke them. So that's Ephesians 6, 4, Colossians 3, 21. And not make unholy connections for them not make unholy connections for them. And I thought, what an interesting thing for parents to consider that our task is to not make unholy connections for them, especially in a day and age where we are told your kid needs play dates and your kid needs this extracurricular and they need to be in this and in that or the third. And we need to ask ourselves, are these unholy connections? Are the parents that I'm grouping myself with, do they have the same heart and the same mind and and the same moral code and the same desire to please the Lord in their parenting? And these um, scriptures are taken from Genesis 24 where, you know, Abraham went so out of his way to get a bride for Isaac. He's like, no, you can't be connected to someone here, even when his son was 40, right? So how much more when our kids are little are we responsible for not making unholy connections for them? 
David Guzik, in his commentary, references a scholar who points out this regarding um, our verse in Proverbs. Perhaps it was due to the mother's own indulgence of the child or because of her tender nature that shame is attributed to her when a child is not wise. Later on in that same chapter, Proverbs 29, verse 17, it says, Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Correct your son and he will give you rest. David Guzik goes on to say this. Many Proverbs speak of the importance of correcting and training our children. If we leave them to themselves, to their peers, or to the culture around them and fail to correct them, they will be an ongoing source of trouble and strife, giving us no rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul, however. Every parent wants this delight of the soul. There is a sense in which God appeals to our own self-interest. If you won't correct your son because it is good for him, then do it because it is good for you. It is good for your own soul. You will have this rest when you correct him. So I, w- I wanted to take us to take away from this last part of, you know, if we don't do these things, it'll bring shame to us, was this. If we do not allow the Lord to use us as mothers to help our children have broken spirits, then it will break our hearts. If we don't allow the Lord to use us as mothers to help our children have broken spirits, it will break our hearts. And I struggled a little bit with sharing the next thing because I know I know that it's very popular to hear, oh, my child is like this, but you know, I don't want to break her or I don't want to break him. And I get it. I get the fact that we want to encourage and we want to build up our kids. And I'm not saying that everyone who uses it is in a context where they're overindulging their child. However, the Bible is clear that a broken spirit is beautiful to the Lord. That is the sacrifice he desires. A broken and contrite heart he will never deny. So sometimes we, we hesitate from being that instrument that will help our child be broken over their sin, over their flesh, over their shortcomings. And again, it's not like, oh, I'm so disappointed they didn't do soccer and instead they like baseball, so now you know I'm going to break them. But it's this idea that like train up a child in the way they should go. That idea is like of training a horse. And what is that called? You break them in. You train them up in the ways of the Lord because when they have those broken spirits, our hearts won't break over our kids. We need to be willing to address the flesh in our children, call sin for what it is so that so that they can bring rest to our souls and to the Lord. I know this has been kind of heavy, um, but I want you ladies to know that it's doable. You know, that we can still have fun with our kids. We can still be their favorite parent because we cook them their favorite meals. But our roles, our responsibilities are so important. 
it's okay to be the bad guy if it means saving their soul. I think of so many nuggets that Jean already shared for us as mamas. I was like, oh, I could just write down like her points and that's it, I'm done. Um, the fact that we have to be willing to offend them if it means that their soul will be in heaven. We need to apply that to our own kids too. So we, we talked about some other parents, right? We talked about Adam and Eve. We talked about Samson's parents. And I thought, okay, who was a mom that was able to, to give us hope? Like, are there any parents that got it right in the Bible? And I thought of Eunice, right? Timothy's mom. She's only mentioned in one little verse, Eunice. And as I was uh, researching and doing Bible study on her, her name means conquering well. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. Just like the theme of our retreat, overcome. Eunice literally means conquering and conquering well. Second Timothy 1, this is her little bio. The only thing we know about her till we get to heaven. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. And then verse 5, here's what Paul says. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up that gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Why? For God has not given us, as moms, a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 7. Ladies, this, this genuine faith, like we need to be practicing these things first, right? Praying for our kids, dealing with the flesh in our own life, making sure our devotional lives are our priority, and the Lord is going to empower you to require it of your children. I know sometimes the world, and I get it, we don't want to be hypocrites, right? We never want to tell our kids, like, do it just because I say it, and then we're not living for them by example. But just because we mess up in our er in one area doesn't mean we no longer are required to require it of our kids, right? Instead, it should stir us up like, oof, I haven't getting my act together, and I see it manifested in my beautiful, lovely, usually darling children, but right now they're kind of reflecting to me where I've been lately. Let me get it together. Let me correct this. Lord, correct me. Forgive me, and help me to require this also from my children. I also wanted to say that successful parenting doesn't mean that all our kids are going to turn out great, right? Like God is the perfect father and Adam and Eve still strayed. So how do we define successful parenting? Faithful parenting, right? That's what he's going to say to us when we get to heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? So we just need to continue laboring with our kids and for them, right? Leave the results to the Lord. Take up that rod Take up that rebuke and give your child's heart to Jesus because he's the only one that could work in it, right? We, we could be the tools. We pray for them. We plead with them. We discipline them. But at the end of the day, the Lord is the one that's going to work in their hearts. 